Hey, hey, hey. Welcome to the podcast, wherever you're listening from. Join in, think differently, consider there's other ways to be. We're going deep. We're going where most people don't want to go. We're going to have some really cool conversations. If you want to get in touch, alexlouise.com. All the contact info and links are there. Jump on my Telegram group. Send us a message. Get in touch. If you want to be on the podcast, let us know. If you have something interesting to talk about, give us a shout. Enjoy the episode. It says we're live. We're live. You better do, your, in, better do your intro bit then. Well, no, we have an intro recorded. We're a very professional outfit, Kev. We can okay, okay. I mean, you're... Hello and welcome today. This is... Well, hello. well okay. I think you could, you could just take it over. Can anyone tell how this podcast is going to go? <laughs> so we are live on YouTube and Twitter and Facebook. So hello if you're watching there. If you're listening to this recorded on Anchor, Spotify, Apple, all the podcasts, welcome as well. Uh, I'm super excited about my third ever podcast, ladies and gents, third ever podcast. And uh, today I've got Kevin Birch, who is an extraordinary male role model, parenting coach, just epic, all round human being. And uh, Kev, you've been in my life for, I'm going to say nearly 20 years nearly now. Nearly 20 years, yeah. I was working so we've, had, you know, we've had two decades of past behind us and many decades, I hope, to go. And um, one of the reasons I wanted you to come on this podcast is because, you know, we speak regularly now. We've both been through some fairly epic journeys. You're about to become a dad again, which is crazy exciting. Um, I've got two small children who are three and one, both boys. There's uh, so much for us to talk about in the financial world, the parenting world, raising happy, healthy kids that succeed which in the day and age that we live now for boys especially of which between us we're going to have you know three it's really difficult i'm reading the book that you recommended um the boy crisis and i'm reading it going oh this is really scary and really exciting because people are recognizing the problem but also it's a car crash out there right for people raising kids girls or boys i don't think it matters which way you're doing it, who you're doing, whether it's girls or boys, you know, China's now dealing with not enough girls. Is this correct? Because of what they did, because they valued boys above girls. And now there's the opposite. So we're on a world scale dealing with what do we do? How do we manage our children? How do we? Hey, Vanessa, welcome. I can I can see a comment. So that means everything's working. Thanks for <laughs> Vanessa. Hello, Vanessa, Vanessa is watching on YouTube. So let's before we get into it because you and i think the thing for everyone listening to say please do put your comments in or questions if you have a question for kevin if we don't get to you we will absolutely talk again kev i have no doubt because i was preparing for this podcast writing some questions down and i just went do you know what forget it there's so much we can talk about let's see where it goes see if any any particular you know uh people listening have got a question and we'll just We'll let it go organically because I have no doubt that we'll do many more of these. So anyone listening who doesn't get their question answered or who has a question, please message either Kevin or myself, have it put in and we will discuss further. Um, so Kevin, just for people who don't know you, who are listening, do you want to give us a whistle tops, whistle stop tour of who you are, where you came from? I'd be what? delighted to, Alex. Thank you. Cool. Thank you for glowing instruction. So uh, obviously, First question anyone should probably will have is who is this guy and why should I listen to him? What, what does he know about anything, right? 
Um, so to, to give me a little bit of context background and my story is probably helpful. So when, uh, when I was born, my mother was 16. She was 16 when she had me. And uh, my parents got married because she was pregnant and then they split up and very quickly I lost touch with my dad. And then my mum got married and divorced another two times. So by the time I turned 18, my mother had been divorced three times. So that created a lot of chaos, I guess you would say. You know, I lacked guidance in many ways and I had a lot of uh, confusion, a lot of confused ideas in my head about marriage, certainly, uh, but also about money. You know, we're going to talk a bit about money and raising financially intelligent children. Um, and it took me probably decades to sort that out. So, you know, obviously, it's not all sorted out. You never completely you know, erase your childhood, but it took me a long time to uh, a lot of chaos to sort those things out. And so um, one of, you know, when I became a father uh, 20 years ago, when I became a stepfather 24 years ago, then I became a father 20 years ago, I wanted to do a better job. I wanted, you know, the reason I'm driven to want my children and other people's children to have better guidance is because I didn't really have that and it had a, made, made a big impact. And so I've gone through a journey of learning a lot of things, sorting a lot of things out, and then teaching that to my daughter as I've, as I've been going, and to my son who's in, you know, in his mum's tummy right now will be, will be similar, and obviously to many clients I've worked with over the years, a confidence coach working with children and their parents. So that's uh, why I do what I do, and it's kind of my drive, and you know, anything in life, people, when you find the thing that you're most naturally driven to do, and most kind of like, yes, this I can spend all day doing this, that's where we tend to have our our genius and our strength, as of course you know. Um, mm. So that's really where I am. And then if we if we if we think about the financial side, we're going to broaden it out. We think about the financial side for a bit. Uh, I, I what I used to do, but I would I would spend more money than I earned and borrow the difference, which is really really stupid and really really un, really really unhelpful habit. A very common one, but very unhelpful well, it habit. It doesn't work, does it? I mean, you know, you've got... <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't work. And then. And so, and, and when I, I started doing that when I was a student, because I was studying medicine, I decided not to become a doctor, I left. Because I was studying medicine, banks would throw money at me. All the banks wanted to lend me money. So I got myself into debt, cheap, cheap, easy credit as a student very early. I'm now 54. Yeah. And then that pattern went through. And I, 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 I would go from being in debt to maybe being sort of break even, being in debt, break even. But I never had any assets, never saved anything up. And... Uh, got married about the age of 30, have my daughter who's now 19, who you know, um, mm. got divorced around the age of 40. And then mm. shortly after the divorce, so maybe 2009, I was in a position where the divorce had just gone through and I was thought, well, I'm, I'm probably going to go bankrupt because I was about £85,000 of personal debt I had um, wow. on top of mortgages. And I thought, I, I can't pay this off and have to go bankrupt. And I didn't go bankrupt and I turned it all around. And I long cleared the debt and built up assets. And in that process, you know, my daughter was six at that point, And it was like, right, I'm doing this kind of in tandem with her because I taught her as well. So that now at the age of 19, she's already for years been putting money into the stock market. And, you know, she just, as you know, quite recently. She's took, amazing. <laughs> she's just, that's amazing. Well, she's just competed. You know, she just took your money mastermind program for five months, which she paid for with a thousand pounds of her own money, and which I did yeah. not push her into. I just said, "Hey, Alex is doing this thing." My friend Alex, you may remember Chef Alex from back in the day. Um, you know, look at this video, and then if you want to contact her, go ahead. And like, I really stepped back. I didn't push. You know, no way doing yeah. it. Dad says, "Yeah, it's massive, and right? It's really important." 
Yeah, and she took a thousand pounds of her own money and invested into it, and has got a lot out of it. So, and yeah, so this is, and then she's got an Amazon business. She started in December selling things, reselling things on Amazon. So in her gap year before she goes to uni to study maths. So you know, she's not a typical nineteen-year-old when it comes to money. Clearly, well, she doesn't have a typical dad when it comes to money and parenting, right? So it's well, like you know, <laughs> you know, it's, yeah. it's like if anyone wants a, if anyone wants a testimonial of you know your parenting skills is like have a chat to Imogen and you know see see what you think I mean it's just and you know that's not taking anything away from what Imogen's done like she's done that and she's done that in the structure and the love and everything that you've provided for her you know so she's been able to to thrive like that it's just fantastic yeah well thank you and, and, and absolutely yeah she deserves the credit because it's her life not mine but what I'm clear of if the way I was about money for example and many other things when she yeah. was five six seven, you know when I split up with her mum or she was four when I split up with her, if I'd stayed that way and my attitudes my psychology my behaviors had stayed the way they had been got me to that situation she would not be where she is now but there's no flipping way she would be where she is now because she would have learned so many terrible habits and so much unhelpful psychology and so you know it's it's, it's been you know ov obviously pet children learn primarily through what you do and who you are and your Not actions you and your words right so if you oh don't do as i do do as i say obviously that's a, that's crap that's not going to work right because they're going to copy yeah. you they're not going to listen to the words they're going to copy you so obviously that's that's you know you've got to be modeling it so you know sorting out your own crap and getting your own head straight and having good habits yourself is key and then that's I, really, I, I don't want to I don't want to step over that because you and I both talk very fast and we'll get through a lot. And I, there's some some times when I just want to pause for a second for anyone listening to really get that you said eighty five thousand pounds in debt hmm. with Imogen, who was then what five or six, and considering Probably bankruptcy. Six by then, yeah, yeah, yeah. And that was how many years ago? Fifteen. That was two thousand and nine. 2009 yeah, and in that, that time you've not only got out of debt but you know have assets savings you guys own your own house you're thriving you've built yeah. a business yeah. and what you've done with your money has completely turned it around so i think there's a couple of things here one is for anyone listening to this going oh my god they've just said that you know how my life is my kids life will be mm -hmm. you know short version i'm doomed i've already messed up i think the thing to really listen to what kevin said because what he said was he was £85,000 in debt. And alongside bringing up his child, he changed what he was doing, which meant Imogen grew up in a different environment. So if you are listening to this going, my life's a car crash or any version of that, it's a brilliant invitation. Children are such a brilliant invitation to take your life on. Mm. Rather than just saying to the kids, do it this way and you'll be better than me. It's mm. like mm. we as parents take our own lives on, then the, then the kids see what we're doing, like you said, rather than just you know us like you say going do as i don't don't do what i did it was a mess <laughs> um Absolutely. and just for anyone just just talk a little bit more about the finance side of how did you turn that round what stopped you going bankrupt what was your access what did you do because that's a bit you know there are probably people listening to this with five grams worth of debt feeling overwhelmed and you did it yeah. with 85 and that's not to diminish anyone with five grams worth of debt yeah. Yeah. but what did you do? Well, I spoke to a debt charity. I mean, this was this was uh, a year or so after the 2008 crash. So there were a lot of people in a lot of financial trouble. We'd had a property investment that had crashed, but it was kind of protected because it was a limited company. So, um, but, you know, assets that we might have had hadn't, you know, hadn't lasted. Um, mm. 
so it was very common. There was a it was basically a debt crisis uh, in in the UK and the world. And so I spoke to a debt charity. They gave me advice. They gave me a very good structure. Basically, contact all the creditors and say, look, I can't pay you. And then they have to, as industry standard, they have to freeze the interest. The debt stops going up. Right, so that's the first step. So it's not going up anymore. There's zero interest. And then basically, I created a budget. And I, it's a very tight budget, and I sent that budget to all my creditors. And then it's like, right, I've got this, you know, I've got £100 a month extra after paying for my food and clothes and stuff. And that £100 a month, you know, I owe you 10000 and I owe you 5000 So you get £10 a month, and you get £5 a month. You know, it's, it's, you, you tell them it's yeah. going to be paid proportionally. And basically, yeah. you're then protected, because if they went to court, the judge would say, do that. Right. The judge isn't going to say, no, Kevin, you've got to starve to death and be on the street. The judge is going to say, well, look, his budget is very tight. He's just paying for his very modest living expenses and his extra money is being proportioned to the creditors in the ratio. So yeah. they're kind of protected. So then you negotiate. I mean, that's yeah, they have to accept that, really. So the, irony of, the irony of speaking to them meant you were actually protected, whereas what people do is they get oh, really scared and hide. Yeah. Which makes it worse by very Absolutely. The, 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 that's right. Of course, you want to just put your head in the sand and avoid it, not open the envelope. So it's the worst thing you can do. And of course, if, if, yeah, if it's a credit card, it's like 22% interest. That's that's bad, right? If you can get that 22% yeah. brought down to zero, oh, that's the difference. Now, obviously, that's going to affect your credit rating. And then what also cool. I was able to do over time, I realized, is actually because because these debts were so big and they were being paid off so slowly, the, they want to clear it, right? So sometimes they'll sell the debt on some agency and all this kind of stuff, but you're still protected. But also then often they will take a reduced amount. So you might owe them 10000 but they'll take 5000 or 6000 something like that. Unfortunately, HMRC owed about £35,000 to the tax man, essentially. They don't do that. <laughs> but um, but uh, the, the, the banks and the credit cards would do that. So it didn't have to clear all of it. Now, obviously, a credit rate takes a huge hit but not as bad as being bankrupt because bankrupt stays, bankruptcy stays in your credit rate forever. Uh, but this, yeah. you know, credit rating was absolutely screwed for five years once I paid it all off. So it was like, you know, years later. But yeah. I don't want to borrow lots of money, right? Like I'm not in the market for going into debt again. So I'm not really concerned about my credit rating greatly. Obviously, it's relevant to mortgage, maybe relevant, but, you know, I'm not going to go out mm. and start getting higher purchase agreements and running up credit card debt and stuff like that. Although I do have yeah. a credit card and I do use it and it pays off every month automatically. Um, so yeah, so just speaking to them, being negotiating. Also, in terms of budget, I said oh, I could set a budget, and that sounds really obvious. But because I was self-employed, mm. for years I had it in my head that I couldn't really budget because my income would fluctuate from month to month. Yeah, so I, was like, well, I don't yeah. know how much. So many of my clients have that story. Absolutely. Yeah. And then someone said to me, it was Harvecker, of course. He said, if you have that situation, just pick a monthly figure that mm. is, you know, sustainable and. Bit, you know, yeah. a bit, maybe a bit below the average you can pay yourself. Pick that figure and pay yourself that money, that amount as from the business as a salary on the same date every month, and then yeah. work to that as a budget. And I was like, that is so obvious. Like some of these things, so obvious when you see it, and it's like, oh my god. So I did that, budgeted to that amount, changed my life because then you know it's all I've got control. And also the other thing I started doing, I started writing down all my expenditure, and I still do it to this day. And that's what my daughter yeah. doing as well. I write yeah. down every penny I spend, not on groceries. We've got certain, you know, my wife and I have got a joint account for groceries and we put money into that or I put money into that now and it, and that just gets spent on a card and you just make sure you don't go below zero or whatever. But when I spend yeah. other money, like I bought some, I ordered bought some contact lenses and glasses this week, right? I've ordered some glasses, expensive ones, because they're very focal. And I, um, 
I come down and I've got my little piece of paper spreadsheet I print out every month. I wrote that number down. If I go for a coffee or I go out with a friend for a drink or something, I write those numbers down. I always get a receipt from the restaurant. I write those numbers down and I keep track of how I'm doing compared to my budget, right? Now, what that means is when I've got a bite, I mean, these glasses, you know, like 300 pounds for a pair of glasses, which is a lot for glasses, right? But it's not a problem because I know I've got the budget for it, right? When we're thinking about, um, we were talking we're not doing it now because my wife's due to give birth in May, but we're talking about going on holiday. We're talking about perhaps going back to Malaysia. She's from Malaysia. We were thinking about all that. And it's like, well, it's going to cost a couple of grand. But guess what? We've got a couple of grand in the budget for that. So, and if we didn't have a couple of grand, we just go, well, we haven't got the budget for it. We're not going to go. So it makes the decision making about, oh, can I afford Much. it? Should I spend it? Oh, there's no guilt about spending money you've got because it's in the budget. And there's no anxiety about spending money you haven't got because if it's not in the budget, you don't spend it. And it's really it makes life so much simpler. So that yeah. fundamental structure of budgeting and tracking your expenditure against your budget is, is you know, this is the sort of thing that you really should teach in, well, in schools, it's right? It's so key, isn't it? It's so key and it's so simple. And it's almost like if anyone's listening going, but that's so simple. It's like, yes, money is simple. When you track it, and it's the same, you know, people can relate this across to losing weight or gaining weight or measuring anything, you know, getting better sleep. The minute we measure something and track it, we've got access to changing it. And it's almost like the measuring of it changes it. The actual change happens when we measure it. There's a tiny bit more of push. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But just that measuring, I can't. And please, everyone listening, Kevin's still doing that today. This is not, and I said this to my guys they completed the 18 people completed on Saturday. And I was like, this is not a one time thing. That spreadsheet you guys have got, keep doing it every mm. month. Mm. Otherwise, fall off the edge. I think what people are scared of is the accountability. So as soon as you start measuring stuff, you're accountable. It's like numbers. Ah! And people, you know, humans have a tendency to avoid stuff that has emotional pain associated with it and where they're conflicted which is why you don't want to bring your kids up conflicted and full of emotional pain about money, which we're going to come on to a bit later. Well, um, gonna, so what I was going to say, how do you, how did you deal with that with Imogen? So you're in debt and you're sorting it all out. How did you talk to Imogen about all of that going through the years? So what did you do with Imogen and around money? And really key, like you were in debt. It's not like yeah. you were just like, oh, it's just easy. We just do it like this. So how do you, what would you say to people about how do they deal with that with their kids? And what do they say and not say? Yeah, oh, abs right, great. It comes up. May I just finish that other point? That I, was like, yes. I think it's really important. Oh, when, so when I no, no, it's cool. <laughs> Somebody talk about when I was wet. So for me, a budget, setting a budget, felt like a constraint. Oh my god, it's going to be really constraining. I won't be free. Yeah. yeah. And I had that story in my head for years, and it's the absolute flipping opposite of the truth. Because once you have that structure, oh my god, now I am free. Now I'm free to, you know. Uh, spend or not it's like it takes all the stress and the anxiety and the guilt out of it right and this is the same this is why one of Jocko's willing Jocko Willing's books is called Discipline Equals Freedom right because they oh, in every yes. area of life, once you have discipline once you have discipline and structure the freedom comes from the discipline and structure and and it's it's counterintuitive and many people you know not many people in my life who are kind of like, oh I don't want that structure. you know they want to kind of I want to live free I want to be a free spirit and it creates them so much stress. Because when you actually have some discipline and structure in your life, that's when you really actually get freedom, in my experience. Yeah. And this is a Absolutely. great example of that. So, yeah, and, take and the plan, set that budget. Because well, I have this with my clients, sort of about, you know, discipline and structure within diarising. And I think the thing to add into all of that is that your discipline and structure, the free time and the fun time and the going out and the sleep and the eating well, it's not like, 
discipline and structure on your budget where it's like you can't spend anything. It's like you have discipline and structure on, oh, here's my fun pot. Here's oh, my yeah. holiday pot. Absolutely. Here's my pot. You know, yeah. here's my buffer if I lose my job pot. So it, it's key as well, I think, for people's planning that when they are doing the discipline bit, you're planning the fun too. And then you're free because I think the people get stuck. They do discipline, discipline, discipline on all the stuff that they should do and about their work schedule. And they forget the balance. And that's where then people get this story of like, oh, planning is just horrific. I'm not free. It's like you've got to plan in the freedom. Absolutely. And also within money, some people are like, spend, 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 don't open my credit card statement, stick my head in the sand. So they need a discipline structure like that. But then some people are the opposite. They'll save, 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 and never spend anything on themselves. So for Guilty. them. So for them, for them to go, no, this is some money you must spend on actually enjoying yourself. No, you're not allowed to buy assets and resources. This is fun money. You've got to spend this on having a good time. They're like, oh, and then they sort of go, oh, and they and that makes them helps them feel good and feel rewarded for saving uh, and investing and doing well financially. Um, so yeah. yeah, depending which direction they're coming from, um, it gives that structure provides a, a help to all of them, in my experience. Mm. Yeah. So you, you asked me about what it said to Imogen. So, so one thing to add on to that, and then we'll go back to the that question. So the other thing is about the discipline and the structure. And everyone, I think it's key that everyone, this is why this journey, whether you're parenting or getting financially free or doing whatever you're doing, you've got to know yourself. Because otherwise, if you follow our advice for, if you're already my type of person, which is like, I can only spend money on buying assets. Everything else is a waste of money. And then, you know, don't go on holiday all that. And you tell me, like, budget, budget, measure, measure, measure. I'll just do more of that and not do it. So it's really key that everyone knows where on the spectrum, if you want to call it that, or the circle, mm. you are. So if you're too much one way, you can go the other way. But if we try and follow advice that's just, this is the way to do money, or this is the way to do parenting, it's the same with parenting, right? If you're no structure, no structure, you need more. But then there are parents that are, like, so much structure, their kids don't know what to do if their parents aren't there. So it's, it's yeah. about everyone knowing where they're at, not comparing yeah. themselves to someone. Because in everything in life, it's about a balance. And there's always a, it's always subjective about where you strike that balance. But someone who's off this end and someone who's off this yeah. end, to bring it back as balance, they need to move in different directions to, to one another is basically what you're saying, isn't it? Yeah. And that's very true. Yeah. I mean, I have, you know, I work sometimes with, with some of the teenagers I work with often are very anxious about their exams, right? They're anxious about their exams, 16, 18 GCSEs in this country. And some of the kids, I say to them, look, they're not that important. And I say, the teachers are trying to terrify you at school. And the reason the yeah. teachers are terrifying at school is because they're worried about the, typically, the boys who sit at the back and don't listen and will lift a flipping finger unless the teachers try to terrify them into doing <laughs> some work. But you're not one of those. You're one of those girls who sits at the front and hangs on every word the teacher said. They're not talking to you. They're not aiming it at you. So for that yeah. girl, I've got to kind of talk, and sometimes with boys, I've got to like talk them down. And have and I talked to them about you know Richard Branson's got what you know Noah was dyslexic, got no qualifications. David Bowie had one O level in woodwork, and you know you talk about some famous people I've heard of have achieved great things with no academic qualifications. The guy yeah. who owns the Range, there's a store, a chain in the UK called the Range, which is like homeware type stuff, furniture things like that. And the guy's a billionaire, right? And he's yeah. built it up over decades himself he's in his 60s he's a billionaire he cannot read and write right he's a billionaire who can't read and write now obviously it's good to be able to read and write i'm not saying oh don't bother learning to read and write yeah, like you, wouldn't tell that, you wouldn't tell that to the boys at the no, back of the class exactly. right. so I'm saying to the kids, but the boys so you take the heat out of it for the girls at the front but the boys that sit there like no it'd be the worst that you can say to them so again it's about 
bringing each of them into balance because they're out of balance mm -hmm. in different directions. It's the same principle about the yeah. money stuff that we've just been talking about. Yeah. So I want to, that's just raised another question for me, which is why I knew I didn't need pre question. Yeah. when I was talking to you. So first of all, I wanted to talk about how did, you know, how did you manage that and how did you talk to Imogen about that? So for people listening going, you know, oh, my life's, oh, how do I deal with that with my kids? The second point I want to then get into is what we just said, and there may be people listening to this going, oh, my God, they just put the boys at the back of the class and the girls at the front. How could they do that? So I want to go there afterwards so just for anyone listening that, well that was just that's just a that's just my observation is that girls a, tend to is, be more worried about doing well at their exams and what yeah kind of stuff it's, it's important for us i think to talk about the difference in gender the difference in raising okay. girls and boys okay the stuff that's going on in the world well, so you, bring, you bring, all, bring us back to that in a minute okay so in terms of um my daughter so here i am i've got a six-year-old i'm on the verge of going bankrupt i decide not to go bankrupt and like i don't want this kind of future for her now, if I were to list all the things I've done with her in terms of thinking about money and psychology over the years, you know, we really would be here for a week. Um, but one of the key context, like how you know, well, one of the key things, the key things was sorry. Talk about it in terms of context about how you took it on and how you were in the conversation, rather than the, right. the practical. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We, like touch on some of those, but it's yeah, more yeah. I think about how people be around it. Yeah, that's exactly where I was going. And what I was, was I was transparent and honest and upfront with her. And so I said to her things like, do you know what? I've done some really silly things. I borrowed money I didn't have, and I spent it, and I've now got to pay that money back. That's really silly, isn't it? Right? So I'd say it to a six-year-old or whatever. And so yeah. the key thing is to be transparent and honest and open. Now, that's really hard if you feel deeply ashamed of what you've done, right? Which is why, you know, getting clear inside and having a plan and actually being, you know, knowing that you are taking some steps is so valuable um, because then you can start to admit, be honest with yourself and then honest with your child. And actually one of the reasons why this has actually been such a gift to me as a father and to my daughter beyond money is that it set up this situation where I would be really open and honest with her about mistakes I'd made and say that was so silly and you know a six-year-old seven-year-old kid can see that if you spend more money than you've got and then you have to borrow it and then you have to pay interest and pay it all back that's really dumb and silly they can see that and so they can you know in an age-appropriate way oh yeah daddy and mummy made mistakes and you know that's not bad or wrong just make mistakes and they did they got and these are the consequences of the mistakes and now they're having mm -hmm. to do things to sort it out and they're doing it better in a different way and then that maps across everything because when it comes to a point where I don't know, your kids as teenagers say, well, did you take drugs or whatever, for example? Mm -hmm. And I don't know, parents, some parents will be anxious about that question. What do I say, Kev, when they you ask me that? You don't, pardon? What do I say, Kev, when they ask me that? Well, you can say, what I could say is, do you know what? I did lots of silly things. Like, you know, I used to get myself, spend money that I didn't uh, have and then get myself in debt. And it was really dumb and it really made life difficult and caused all sorts of problems. And I learned from that. And now I do things much differently, which is better. And then I can apply that same lesson to, you know, drugs, sex, rock and roll, whatever it is. Okay, so I'm going to be a bit, I'm going to be a bit teasery here. And also, like, this is a genuine question. I'm not just, like, faking this for anyone in the audience. So for those in the audience who don't know, I did a lot of drugs when I was young. Went off the rails at 14, 15, left home at 15, started working in an Italian restaurant as a pot washer and did, did a, a fairly high amount of drugs. Uh, back then, including speed and ecstasy and some LSD for anyone like, going, oh, what did you take? And it's like, and I had a ball. 
to be clear. And this is this is why this is where the question's coming from. And there was a level to which doing that was the escape from everything I was dealing with. So that there was a very powerful side to it as well as obvious downside. What happened for me and my story was I then actually got into work and cooking and loved that. And that actually became a replacement addiction, to put it really simply without going into major detail. And I started working 16 hours a day in kitchens. So I crammed out the drugs with the work, loved the work, so stopped taking the drugs, short version. So how would I say that to a child who asked me about drugs? Because I can't lie and go, it was terrible. You know, because like getting into debt, that was really sucky. The drugs were fun. Like there's a, and there was a downside. It was illegal. It was dangerous. You know, I'm in a club at 15 years old, potential. And I, so here's the other thing for me, my belief is I didn't ever take anything that incapacitated me. So I knew what I was doing, you know, all of that. I wasn't one of the people who took so much stuff. I was passed out and anything could have happened to me. If that makes sense. We did it with friends and all of that. So how do I say that? Well, well, you asked me to put myself in your position because, you know, my experience of taking drugs was not that great. And it was like, I could say that it was sort of kind of good. And I was going along with what other people were doing, same with alcohol, drinking, and it, but always tended to feel crap and not really like I enjoyed it and I didn't. So it's like I've got perhaps a more, uh, and then you know, there's risks and there's downsides and all that kind of stuff. Um, and, you know, obviously they're going to make their own choices. Um, mm. I suspect that you know, your boys are not going to grow up with the same kind of degree of anguish and inner turmoil or whatever you had when you were that age. Mm. So I don't yeah. think that kind of numbing and escaping thing's going to arise in the same way. Um, actually, that's really useful because actually that's what there is to say, is that I was using them to numb and escape and right. not deal with my emotions. So that's yeah. that's really useful. Yeah, yeah. So because the thing about, I mean... We, Every, we all use things outside of ourselves to change the way we feel, right? Whether it's chocolate cake, video games, uh, drugs, pornography, alcohol, gambling, whatever it is, these are external things that people use. Now, if you can do those things in a, you know, once in a while or occasional kind of way and it's in control, that's that's fine. You know, we all do some elements of those things. Yeah. Um, but when it's kind of like, you know, there's this question of degree, isn't it? And if it's, and the thing about doing those things if we're playing video games or gambling or or eating chocolate cake to get away from our problems or to numb pain is it never helps. It only provides a temporary respite. Yeah, it's a short fix. Yeah. But it but in that time, the problem, whatever the problem is trying to escape, is getting worse. Yeah. Right. So it never actually addresses the issue. Now, if you're doing it, you know, once in a blue moon, the problem doesn't get much worse over a weekend or something. But if you're doing it like repeatedly, yeah. <laughs> everything else, your life's going to, to shit while you're going, oh, I'm feeling good every weekend. It's really great. And it's like, no, not really. So, so I think that would be the, yeah, that would be what there is for you to say and to share. Yeah, I think that's the honesty then actually about, you know, what I was dealing with and why I was doing it. And then, yes, that's really useful. Thank you. And I hope anyone listening found that helpful. Because I think that's the thing. It's like when... When something has a very obvious downside, it's kind of easy to say easier. It's still not easy because we've got to deal with the shame of it. Um, and, you know, you can probably tell who's, you know, people that are listening. It's like I've dealt with the fact that I took drugs when I'm younger. I have no problem sharing it. There's nothing there for me anymore. Whereas prior, you know, it's like, oh, my God, you know, cause my mum and dad might listen to this. But they know, you know, it's like there's not there's no there's no hiding anymore. And I think it's important to deal with 
if if something was terrible, we can just go, well, I did this and look, it was horrific. And that's why it didn't work. But, it, you know, when we do something, but there's the upsides or perceived higher upsides, it's finding the, the, the full share, isn't it? And the full honesty about it um, and the reasons why behind it and everything. So that's really useful. Thank you. And, you know, I mean, you talked about safety and you were in groups of people you trusted and all that kind of stuff. But I would say that taking class A's, class A drugs, that's a classification here in the UK, of uh, as a 14-year-old girl is a high-risk behaviour. Yeah. I would say that's a dangerous stuff, right? And you can do it 10 times. I mean, I said to, I said to my daughter literally the other day, I said, look, you could walk home alone at 3 a.m. drunk um, five times in a row and have no problem whatsoever. That wouldn't make it safe behaviour, right? And you go, oh, this is really safe. I walk home alone, th drunk at 3am in the morning and, and I don't get raped. So therefore, it's safe. no, no, yeah. that's not that's not a good extrapolation, right? Because um, <laughs> yeah, it's a high risk behaviour. Not that she's doing that particularly, but you know. It's I think that's a nice way of putting it. I like that saying like it's high risk behaviour because then it, it also people are still left at choice, aren't they? There's no make wrong in that. It's just like, well, doing that's pretty high risk. What do you yeah, do? Absolutely, yeah. I mean, that comes, yeah. And, and I think that's one of the things um, I was on a Twitter spaces the other day talking about, I think people really picked up on, which is when you talk rather than, as a parent, rather than making it about morality, this is right and this is wrong, this is good, this mm. is bad, you make it about workability, mm. like what works and the kind of results you'll tend to get. And the example I was given was lying, right? So I yeah. never taught my daughter that lying was bad or wrong because, yeah. spoiler alert, your kids will lie to you. Like, there's no <laughs> doubt whatsoever. I don't yeah. care who you are. Your kids are going to lie through their teeth to you to some degree, right? That's totally normal, right? So yeah. I don't want my daughter, this was when she was about eight or nine, this came up. I didn't want her to feel ashamed and feel really bad. This is really wrong. You've been a bad girl. You're a naughty girl. You know, that, I don't want her to feel shame for something I know she's going to do. So I said, mm. well, I said, Imogen, lying is not wrong lying is not bad she's like what whoa this isn't what the teachers at school say kind of thing and i said um everybody does it to some degree you know it's obviously the examples of does my bum look big in this oh no it's really you know you look really sick or that or 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 no i'm not arranged i haven't arranged anything for your birthday there's no secret party been arranged or if you're in if you're in 1930s germany and the and the gestapo or whatever they are knock on the door and you say no there are no jews hiding in my basement you know it's a lie but it's like a good lie right so there's you know there's always context to lying and there are yeah. degrees of it but essentially so we'll do it a bit but the thing is I said image i said lying doesn't work Lying doesn't work. I said, would you like daddy to lie to you? And of mm. course, an eight-year-old was like, no. Like, yeah, you wouldn't like daddy because then you wouldn't know if you could trust me or believe what I said to you, right? And that would, that would feel horrible, wouldn't it, right? And the same as yeah. if you lied to me. I don't know if I can trust or believe you. It's exactly the same. So lying's not bad or wrong, but it tends to affect relationships and trust, and it's not very nice. It doesn't really work. And of course, you start, yeah. oh, okay, which is the, that's the fact. Now, that's why society has a taboo on it. That's why there's taboo, which is reinforced by shame and guilt. You mustn't do it, you know, Ten Commandments type stuff. And that is mm. valid. That that keep that gives society a structure. You know, all cultures have taboos against certain things like murder or whatever. And and mm. it make, you know, the shame and guilt reinforces them. And that is that's useful for society cohesiveness. And actually, there's a level beyond that where we can help our kids to, you know, not lie, not murder, etc. Not because it's bad and wrong but because they realize that that just doesn't work it's not going to get me or anybody else anywhere it's a destructive un you know non-useful non-workable thing to be doing 
And how do you give children, you will recommend to your clients that, how do you deal with, how does a parent deal with, they found out their child has lied and they're aware, they don't want to make the child feel bad and wrong and they don't want to, you know, shame them. At the same time, they probably want to kill them on some level. Any parent that's said they don't ever think about, you know, that. <laughs> well, I think, how, okay. how do you How do you create the space so that children can come back to us and say, I lied. And no, because I think one of the things that children are scared of is being shouted at, right? Or hit right. or worse or whatever. You know, it's so, like, how do we create that space? Great. So two things. There's the, the inner and then there's the outer. And as always, it starts with the inner, right? Don't take it personally. One of the biggest things as parents is to not take things personally. Now, of course, we tend to take, take things personally. What's more flipping personal than our kids, right? Obviously, it's very close to our hearts. It's, it, you know, the home and everything is personal. But if you've got a toddler, a two-year-old, who is throwing a tantrum, we know as parents that taking that personally would be a bit mad and would drive, we'd drive ourselves crazy if we took the tantrum personally. Now, we probably also have had that moment where we kind of do take it personally and we do feel upset and we do feel really annoyed for having a tantrum, especially if it's in public and other people are judging us in our imagination or whatever. But mm. that's the route to insanity if you take toddler tantrums personally. Oh, my God, this means I'm a bad parent and they don't like me and my child's a bad child and all this kind of stuff. You're going to drive yourself nuts. So just go, oh, yeah, this is what two-year-olds do. This is all part of them regulating their emotions. This is all part of the journey of parenting, right? You just take it in your stride and obviously with experience that gets much easier. And then that same mentality you have around tantrums, apply that to everything else. So apply that to the recalcitrant teenager, the 15-year-old slamming their door, saying, I hate you, I wish I'd never been born, you're not my real dad, or whatever it is that they might say, or the 12-year-old saying, I hate you. It don't, it's, it's part of them being a teenager. So if they lie when they're seven or eight, have you brushed your teeth? Yeah. And you go, well, this toothbrush is dry. Right. So obviously they haven't brushed their teeth, right? <laughs> then don't take it personally. That's what they do. That's what kids, it's just part of them feeling things out and, and exploring boundaries and push testing the waters and pushing the limits and stuff like that. So when you when they lie, if again it's like, oh, okay, my kids lied to me. And it might have been about something more significant than brushing the teeth. But the first step is to just know that's just all part of that rather than because you're a bad parent or they don't love you or they're a bad child or that kind of stuff. And then you can go and you can say to them, oh, I've noticed something here. This isn't actually true. What you said that was a lie, wasn't it? Oh, and you can say, look, that doesn't really work. You can have that kind of conversation. If you want to have a sanction, a punishment, then okay, fine, do. Um, but, yeah, you can have that conversation rather than you're a bad kid. Does mm. that answer your question? It does. And what do you say about sanctions and punishments and consequences and how do people deal with that so that they, you know, there's this kind of cycle that happens often with children where they do something wrong. So there's punishment, that punishment isn't big enough so that it gets bigger and it escalates. It's like that doesn't work. So how do you recommend managing consequences and punishments and all of that world? What do you think about the naughty step, for example? I think I that, uh, 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 yeah, it's probably not the word I would use for it, but I think that having yeah. a sort of timeout thing can be okay. I know that some people have very different views about it. Yeah. You know, when you watch Super Nanny, seems to be historically, she'd do it very well on TV, that would work. Um, and uh, I think that um, 
kids vary. So I think it's very easy to have a docile child or two and then assume that they're all like that. And some kids are not like that at all. Um, so I'm, I'm, I, it's, so, it's so many variables that I don't think there's one answer. But yeah. I agree that just escalating, escalating, escalating doesn't tend to work. Yeah. The flip side to that is, though, that if your child is playing hardball and you get to a point where they have you on the back foot because you're scared of them going too far, yeah. you're scared of them smashing up their room or running away or refusing to go to school or something like that, then you really are in trouble. So you don't want to get to that point. It's like when, come, when you know, I would say you don't want to have, you want to have as, as few rules as possible and as few battles as possible, but when they happen, you want to win them. Otherwise, the precedent is set that they can win. And I, you know, I, I do work with clients a lot where that's happened, where the, the teenager is, you know, the, the, the parents are scared of the teenager killing themselves or the, the younger parents of young kids are scared of the, the 10-year-old, you know, um, smashing things up or refusing to eat or something. And then that's, that's quite hard to row back on. Um, and the best time to discuss all of these things and to agree to rules and sanctions and protocols or whatever is away from the heat of the moment. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you do not negotiate bedtime at nine o'clock at night when someone's tired and needs to be in bed. That's not the time to be talking about it. That's why, actually, the, the phrase, because I said so, is a really good and useful and valid phrase, in my view. Because I said so. Why? 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 Because I said so. That's it. End of discussion. Now, that doesn't mean I'm not going to explain to the child the next day or another time why. What the fact, I think that, that's, I think, very valuable to explain stuff, but not in the heat yeah. of the moment when they're just using why, 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 why as a challenge and a way to try to undermine your authority. So yeah. have conversations away from the heat of the moment and don't take it personally. When you do those two things, then the setting of uh, sanctions and applying of sanctions will tend to be much uh, easier. Mm. And then and then you want to be consistent and you need to follow through. Yeah, such a key, right? Follow through and doing what we say we're going to do. Otherwise... And, and this brings into... We're coming to money on this, right? But, I mean, one of the... And I think you might have heard this said before as well. Have rules be like gravity, right? Gravity, you cannot negotiate with gravity, right? Yeah. If you step off it... If you step off it, yeah, gravity and gravity doesn't care how you feel, how upset you are, how hungry or tired. Like gravity has no opinion, it will not respond. You can't negotiate, it will just apply consequence every single time. And yeah. that that kind of thing is like, no, this is the rule, and when that happens, this happens, and it's like that's it. Whereas if you go, Oh, well, okay, I feel a bit sorry for you today, so you know, or I know you've been having a hard time at school, therefore I'll let you get away with it. That's yeah. a short term easy, but long term you're storing up more problems. And it and, starts so young, right, as well. Go on. Absolutely. Sorry. Well, as I said, yeah. And then that leads into what you said about, you know, we talk about financial stuff. How do you educate your kids to do well financially? That leads into one of the key psychological foundations, which is the ability to delay gratification, right? Because that's one of the key yeah. things of money, right? If I say, like, I want to feel good now, so I'm just going to spend all my money and rack up credit card debt. I feel really good now. That's not how you have a financially stable life, right? <laughs> it's the opposite of that. Um, so the ability to delay gratification and wait is key in finance. It's also key in relationships and in yeah. business, and it's key in health. You know, oh, I just want to eat loads of chocolate cake and lie on the sofa because it feels good. Oh, going to the gym doesn't feel good today. I just want to, you know, it's like yeah. you have to think more long-term. So thinking long-term is key in every flipping thing. And the reason that's 
applying consequences and saying doing what you said you were going to do links to it is because mm. when parents do what they said they're going to do both the negative consequences the things the child doesn't like but also the we're going to go to the picture we're going to go to the cinema see the movie tomorrow and then you actually do it we're going to the zoo you do the things that promise the good things you promised whatever it's positive or negative in the child's world when you do mm. what you said you're going to do they learn that the future is reliable and trustworthy so they learn to yeah. trust yeah. the future and it's that's i can only think long term when i know i can trust the future so if i can't yeah. trust that everything's going to if someone says to me kevin i'm going to give you uh ten dollars today or i'm going to give you thirty dollars in a month obviously thirty dollars in a month is better right but if I come from a home, and this has actually been studied and done, right? If I come from a home where my dad makes loads of promises, or he, and then he never turns up and keep, he's not there in the house, and he never turns up, and he never keeps his promises, and then some guy's offering me ten dollars today or thirty dollars in a month, it's actually rational for me to say, do you know what? I'll take the ten dollars today because no. at least I've got it. Because the thirty dollars in a month probably won't actually happen. So in those yeah. sort of situations, so the child because the because they're not they don't learn to trust the future because the adults in their lives are not keeping their promises to them it's actually mm. rational for them to actually take the short-term lesser mm. reward. So they start to be, they start to become conditioned to think short-term. And I think, you know, when I look at my childhood with the three divorces and also just relationships with stepbrothers and stepsisters and uh, cousins and uncles and all these people, and then almost like overnight, those relationships were just gone. Oh. I just, yeah. and, and then we'd move house and, you know, there wasn't much money around so you know i didn't i wasn't like i say i wasn't conditioned to trust that the future was going to be stable and that you know so of course i wasn't conditioned to think long term i was conditioned just to think about what i can get today kind of thing i think okay that explains a lot of my behavior in my 20s and even in my 30s mm. so so yeah keeping your promises to your kids whether it's positive or negative keeping your word doing what you said you're going to do is absolutely fundamental and core in my view and how how do you say that parents, if they haven't kept their word, clear that up? Because again, shame comes in, they don't want to deal with it, yeah, or yeah. there's a whole, oh, they're just kids, they won't remember. Well, Ooh. I don't know. <laughs> Charlie, my three-year-old remembers everything. Yeah. Good luck, good luck. You know, I said, we're going to go and see the new house that we're moving to, because we're, we're buying a new house, the process is taking a long time, we drive past it a lot, we've been there a couple of times, we went, the one with the red door, mummy. I was like, I don't know. Has it got a red door? Pulled <laughs> up, red door. Like he remembers, he remembers stuff from when he was one and a half, two, when he used to sleep at Lolly's house, and it was a pink house in Merthyr. I mean, he remembers everything. Mm. So, how do you say to people to deal with that again, so that okay, they didn't keep their word? How do they deal with that with their children, rather than just brushing over it and going, "Well, I'm the adult; I can do what I want." Again, you've got to be willing to just be honest and transparent, right? And 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 people are scared of that because we want to, you know, we we have a sort of a cultural norm almost of trying to brush things under the carpet and not take responsibility, right? Which is, you know, yeah, you want to screw your life up. That's a good way of doing it. And basically, so you say, child, do you know what? I didn't do what I said I was gonna do. I mean, a great example. I remember with my daughter, we were in the car and we she was like five or something, and uh I think me and my girlfriend at the time in the front and we were listening to the radio and she wanted, my daughter wanted her, you know, tape playing kiddie songs on or whatever, but we were listening to something else. Right. And so I said, okay, when this song ends, it'll be your turn to have one of your songs on the tape. Right. Mm. And then that song ended and then another song came on, but I really, one of my favorite ones. I went, Oh wait, we'll do this. 
and she in the back, she went, Daddy, you promised. Daddy's a big fat meanie. And she threw her body around in the, in the car seat. Right? And she was like, Daddy's a big fat meanie. And I was like, I said, do you know what? You're right. I'm so sorry. I promised and I broke my word. We're going to put your thing on now. And yeah. it was as simple as that, right? But I had to say, you yeah. are right. I was wrong. I'm sorry. It's not hard. You're not, I'm saying, you know, keep your promises to your kids. Always follow through. Obviously, nobody does that 100%. We're human beings, right? So just be honest about that. But then don't go, oh, yeah, it's what everybody does. It doesn't matter. No, no. So do you know what? I did that. And that's not okay. I apologize. And we'll sort it out. I will take you to the zoo tomorrow. Or I will do whatever it was that I said I was going to do. And sometimes you need to say, I promise to take you to the zoo. Uh, actually, something's changed. Or actually, I realize I haven't got enough money. to. Take. I can't afford to take you to the zoo this month. Or I realize that, you know, something else has happened. We're going to have to defer that. We're going to, but, but we will, you know, we will do it. And you and another time vaguely off in the future. No, no, we're going to do it, and you be specific as much as you can, so that they can trust that it will happen, and then do it then. And what about what do you say to people? Anyone who's listening to this, going, "Oh my God, I've screwed up my children." Which, by the way, if you listen, it's not true. It's just an opinion that you have. But if you if, if if there are people listening to this who have that belief about themselves, listening to what we're saying now, going, "Oh my God, I've done it all wrong." What do you say to them? About well, it's, it's not it's not black or white, is it? Right, we're all we, yeah. we're all fallible. If nobody gets an instruction manual how to do it, we're all going to make screw ups and do things wrong. I've done things wrong. I think, oh, it was, it was silly. I shouldn't. Have done, I could have done that differently with hindsight. Yada yada yada. Everyone's going to have that. And the thing is, okay, so what can I do better now? Right, that's that's the 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 or, or how can I improve? How can I say to my child, oh, do you know what I used to do? Because my daughter used to be scared of me, for example, right, and yeah. um. She was scared of me, probably when she was like seven or eight or something. And it was like, I mean, she wasn't scared of me all the time, but sometimes she was scared. I didn't want my daughter to be scared of me, right? And it was um, because I shouted. Daddy has shouted. And Daddy has shouted when she was young a couple of times or whatever. I never hit her, never hit her. But there was some couple of times that I'd shouted and it had really stuck in her head. And so, you know, I cleared that up and I said, you know, I'm really sorry about that. I didn't mean to scare you. And I know I've got a very loud voice and I'm big and everything. My voice is very deep. Yeah, for those who don't, uh, we can't see how tall you are, but you're a big guy as well, right? How tall yeah. are you? Something. Just under 6'2", yeah. What, yeah. One, 187. 187. To a small person, that's like... Oh, and also my voice. My voice is loud. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So it didn't take much. So... um and so that's one thing I say to people. The question was people who think, oh, I've screwed up, whatever. The other thing is the phrase, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger, is true, right? So ultimately, your child will benefit in some ways that may not even be apparent to you right now, even from the things that have not gone well in their life or the things that you think, oh, no, you know, I'm divorced or whatever it may be, right? Mm -hmm. So I can actually now look back and see that the my me not seeing my dad for 20 years because i tracked my dad down when i was early 20s and did see him again uh, me not seeing my dad for 20 years me my mother having three divorces actually was good for me and it helped me in many ways it was bad it was negative there were lots of negatives i was aware of those for many years but now i've done the work to actually go okay how was this good for me and to find the positives and i see that it actually made me who i am today the yeah. way i am as a father has been totally shaped as i said in the beginning by that um so much of the the, the fact that i now save 30% plus of my income every month, right? We talked about yes, changing ladies habits, and gentlemen, right? You said 30%. 30%, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> that doesn't seem that high to me. I've met people who save more than 50% of their income, but you know, I save over 30% of my income every month 
and uh, you know, which probably puts me as percent as a percent. It's probably in the top, you know, two or three percent of people in the country. So, you know, yeah. not many people are doing that, are they? Right? Um, if I'd had that habit since I was daughter's age, obviously a different financial life, but I didn't. But I'm doing it now, and actually, I wouldn't be doing it in the way I'm doing it now, and I wouldn't have taught her if I hadn't had the childhood that I had, right? And there's all sorts of other ways about my relationship. Well, my wife, I'm remarried, been you know with my wife for ten years, and the the father I'm going to be to my son, the the work I do with my clients, working with parents and teenagers and younger kids, you know, I wouldn't be. I mean, God, you know, to the extent that I'm good at that, the fact that I had the childhood I had yeah. is obviously, obviously key because it's given me that drive and inspiration to help those kids and it means that you know simply when i talk to kids who've got trouble when i talk to teenagers i say to them i say i say oh yeah my mum was 16 when she had me and she was divorced three times by the time i was 18 i go through that with them in an age-appropriate way i say so this stuff that i'm going to share with you recalcitrant teenager resistant teenager it's not just stuff i've read in some book somewhere right this is stuff that i've used to help change my life and it's the kind of guidance if someone could have told me when i was a teenager would have really really helped me and made a difference in my life and then those teenagers go okay i'm listening right so my, <laughs> yeah. my power in my work is massively shaped by my my childhood experience so it's a bit like what you were saying you know you're you're early you talked about you know when you were 14 a bit off the rails taking drugs like that that actually has given you a lot of strength That's in other ways you can huge, see that, right? right i mean it's yeah. just uh, yeah everything i mean i'm you know building up my property portfolio who i am as a coach it just yeah, the whole world yeah. of it is absolutely yeah. so even the adversity you know your mess ups as a parent at some level you can go okay well i know that's actually going to help them so my me me getting divorced me separating from my daughter's mum when she was four years old i took the decision to move out and end that relationship my little four-year-old beautiful baby having her parents live in different houses now right i had some emotions about that right but i also knew at another level that it would bring positives into her life and it most certainly has and it's given her resilience in certain ways so it's like even your screw-ups have plus sides to them uh and 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 even if you don't see them yet that they please trust they'll be there but that doesn't mean go oh well, i may as well go carry on screwing up right so i i, I know that yeah. being divorced uh has also been good for my daughter in some ways but i don't want my son to go through being divorced parents as well hey i was divorced three times maybe i should have a third go you know, get divorced this one, get another. It's be good for my kids no 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 you want what you want is a balance of support and challenge right so you want to support your kids and you want them to be challenged so you need both but the, the, your screw-ups actually are part of providing that challenge to them and that's how they build partly how they build resilience and if a child you know gets wrapped in cotton wool too much support and no challenge and they go out into the world and they've just been living you know white picket fences and unicorns and rainbows and they go into the world at 18 19 20 they're going to get eaten for breakfast right so yeah some of the things that you've screwed up as a parent will actually have helped them in other ways so that's another thing i invite parents to consider mm. if anyone's listening to this thinking how do i work with kev how do they get hold of you <laughs> we'll put links in the comments we're gonna we're still gonna keep going for another you know we've got another good half an hour folks so don't, i'm not wrapping up but just if anyone is thinking like uh, and also just just speaking to a little bit at what point does someone get help? I think it's really key as well to mention on, on this, and it's the same with money. It, and it was the same when I had a, a restaurant and a pub and a catering company. There are things in life that we all assume that we can just do. Like we kind of grow up, we go, well, we should be able to do money. We've been a kid, so we should be able to parent. You know, mm -hmm. people come into restaurants and go, well, I can cook food. So I'm going to, you know, the, the, my favorite comment when I ran the pub was, oh, when I retire, I'm going to run a pub. And I used to think, what are you talking about? I work 80 hours a week. That's not retirement, that's lunacy. And so 
what do you so there's a whole world of you know people getting help education i mean i read parenting books you know we speak a lot all of that world what what what's the best thing for parents to do who are going do you know what my parenting is you know like i love my kids but there's just stuff i don't know how to do at what point do people come and see you at what point could people read a book what else is out there for parents who are going well there's no parenting school i you know if there was i missed that memo when i was doing my gcse's there was no one telling me how to be a parent there's no one telling me how to do money you know so what how do people what do you say would be really helpful for parents to do so they can help themselves including Everyone's, what you do but you know because at, yeah. at the moment it kind of comes across like you deal with people once they're in crisis right and that might so, not be true. It's also right. you know shoot that. everyone's got their own threshold right sometimes parents come to me and say oh do you think i'm over worrying do you think this is an issue and i'm like well it's up to you i said because some parents if their kid is not captain of the first 11 and getting straight A stars across everything, and at the top grade eight of piano by the time they're 14, that parent's freaking out and you know worried about their kid. That's probably too much, right? Yeah. Other end of the spectrum, some parents are like, well, as long as my kid's not selling drugs, they're fine. And that's probably quite a low standard, right? So where your standard is in between those two extremes is is your is subjective judgment call. That's up to you as a parent, right? Mm -hmm. So when it's good to get help, you know many of probably of your clients come to you with financial troubles and in crisis and have had big challenges but then my daughter at 19 goes on your program she's not in that camp but yeah um and you know so the majority of my clients are my, people are more driven by pain people move away from pain rather than towards pleasure right that's the reality of human beings yeah. so there's to be times of crisis and pain and struggle and suffering and frustration when people seek help and that's clearly not my, what my daughter came on your program and that's uh you know it's wiser to come before that i would say yeah. because and be more proactive and think okay how can i have this work well how can i do well in this area rather you know, how can i be fit and strong and healthy and live a long time rather than go oh okay i'm now really fat and old and decrepit and i've got all these diseases oh better time to sort my health out right that's how <laughs> Well, that's what that's how most people address it that's how most it's people true, right? are, yeah, yeah. Their health, right and that's not bad or wrong but it's not very mm. workable right because then they're it's kind of too late and they're it's really hard to turn your health around when you're you know 50 60 70 whereas if yeah. you set out being healthy and having good habits and behaviors that just kind of become second nature to you and you establish those habits when you're 20 in your 20s obviously it's you know you're, you're going to live longer basically and have a, a, a a better life in so many different ways for that mm -hmm. so yeah everyone's got to serve their own threshold uh, most people are driven by pain they come to me in crisis but being proactive is um wiser in my view all else being equal yeah and it's interesting isn't it because we've you know we're, we're on a call every week with chris and vicky and we talk about you know our businesses and yeah, i mean it's like a, a peer group call for those listening you know kind of don't know all of us who we are and all that and it's it's interesting, isn't it? Because it's the same with my business. It's been so magical having Imogen and some others that are like like young. Most people that come to me are 35 plus mm -hmm. because they're suddenly realizing that not having a pension is going to be a problem. Whereas normally when you tell an 18 year old that not having a pension is going to be a problem, they're like, nah, whatever. And 35 mm -hmm. is about the age where people start to, you know, get the pain of it. Mm -hmm. um, and it is magical. And it, it's, you know, it's why you've started creating and you even call yourself the Advanced Parenting Program to create that package for people so they can come in before it's in crisis so i think that's the other thing is that 
people can follow you and sort of see what's coming out of that i'm really interested in in that whole side of things so that it doesn't have to be in crisis and i think sometimes as coaches and something i'm learning on my own journey is that i used to get coaching when i was in crisis and then i'd kind of be okay and i'd be like oh i'm good now and then i wouldn't have coaching for a while and then i'd be in crisis again usually for something else in intimate relationships not i was you know did the same thing again and again until i stopped and now i have coaching and i'm on my i don't know third or fourth round of 40 sessions with my coach I'm not in crisis mm. and it's like what's next what's the expansion mm. how can i do better more blah 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 so it's an interesting conversation i think isn't it for all of us of like we kind of come into stuff in pain but then it's like okay well what else is there and, and how can we do more and i suppose for anyone listening going i don't really want to wait till i'm in crisis it's like well start you know doing doing that kind of stuff now start reading the book start exploring go on that journey absolutely and if you want you know how i think it might be a good idea to do I want to teach my kids about money so they understand it and they understand that saving and investing is normal and natural and they just do it, you know, and they think long term? Or do I want them to knock on my door when, when they are 30 and say, oh, mum, I really, I really would like to try and buy a flat. I really want to try and buy a flat. Can you give me a deposit? Can you lend me a load of money? Because, you know, my job with Uber, my Uber Eats thing isn't giving me enough money. You know, that's the reality, right? So the pain will come. But it will probably come a bit later, right? If you can, I'm sure my mum felt pain about uh, my my financial mess, um, but I didn't mm. sort it out, and she wouldn't have had the means anyway. Um, but uh, yeah, so you're your, with, with with parenting, it's like the, you know, do you want your child to be divorced? Do you want your child to be uh, unhealthy? Do you and sick? Do you want your child to be financially stressed and? you know, yeah, wanting to move back in when they're in their 30s, that kind of thing. And the answer is, well, obviously not. You want them to be independent and thriving and, and happily married or partnered in some way and, you know, raising your grandchildren happily and you can play with them. You know, you want it, you want it, got, probably got a different vision, right? Well, then yeah. be proactive rather than just go, oh, okay, no, no, I'll just push it all to one side and wait until I'm not in too much pain, so I'll just leave it. I wouldn't recommend that. <laughs> just, they'll be fine. We'll just let them keep going and we'll blame the school system later that didn't teach them about stuff. Yeah, it's all the school's fault. Yeah, the school should have taught my child everything it needs to know about sex relationships <laughs> and money and health. Yeah, good. Good luck with that. And, and, and also, I think, but on a, on a societal level, I do wonder if there's that, A, underlying belief that schools take care of it and, B, a real awakening and awareness of, like, clearly the schools aren't taking care of it. And rightly so. I don't believe that schools should, but it's like, there's a world of actually us as parents going, oh, yes, actually, there's more to deal with. And it's almost, I think, especially in the West, where we're super privileged, most stuff's taken care of. We're not dealing with the basic needs of food, water, shelter. We're dealing with like all the next steps. It's kind of easy to forget that people need the basics. Like, we need to teach our children how to cook. And if we don't know how to cook, it'd be a good time to learn and then cook with our children. If we don't know how to do money right, it'd be a good time to do money right and learn with our children like you did with, with Imogen. Um, so in a way, it's kind of a brilliant gift of like showing yes, us I, like, well, we don't know what we're doing, so let's do it together. Exactly, and as I said earlier, you know, me 
having those financial challenges meant that I could then talk to my daughter and say, oh, I was silly and I did these things. I've got this money and I've got a powerful step. And so then I could go on the journey and share with her things that I learned as I learned them, not pretending I had all the answers or I knew it or I'm the authority figure, you must listen to me, but from a place of authenticity. And that then, of course, is mapped over into all the other areas of our relationship, right, which is fantastic. And so um, teaching her to think long-term, because I didn't, you know, she's, it's just like second nature her, to her now. And then we do things like, you know, I take her to, um, we'd go to car boot sales, which is a thing in this country, if you're abroad, you know, where you put all the stuff you don't want to set, you, you want to get rid of Yard in your house. Yard sales in America. Yard sales, but you yeah. said you, but you yeah. drive somewhere and you do it in a field and everyone's selling it from yeah. the, the, the trunk of their car, right? And so I would get her doing that with her old toys and, and uh, clothes and, you know, get her make, signs with the prices and she'd she'd be negotiating the prices with the you know she's like eight or nine and she's negotiating wow. oh, i'll give you 50p she'll know a pound and all this kind of stuff and then also towards the end when everyone's starting to pack up and go of course you drop your prices instead of being 50p each it's three for a pound right and so you know that mm-hmm. whole mentality of how supply and demand uh affects pricing and all that kind of stuff became natural to her also then we did yeah. things like on father's day we baked cakes and we took them to the park and sold them set up a table in the park and sold father's day cakes and again she had to make point of sale materials with the prices on wow. i went through this is like when she was nine maybe and i went through with her the the costs of you know all the different ingredients that she was using including charging her a little bit for use of the oven and for petrol to drive the car wow. to the, the thing Brilliant. did that as yeah. a but i didn't make a pay in advance but all that got taken out of her takings right yeah so she could see that there was you know income expenditure profit Right. And it was, was wow. it worth all the effort of that? You know, and she actually went, mm, probably not because she made like a 10 or whatever. And it was a lot of, lot of time and effort involved. Right. So those kinds of experiences. Uh, um, but, you know, then kind of like the more sort of mechanical bits and pieces that you're doing, which is teaching her uh, some of the mechanics of, of money and buying and selling and fair exchange. But within a context of the psychological stuff about you know long-term thinking and investing and compound interest and how you know when you put this amount of money away every month for the next x number of years this is what happens to it over time and then you're free because you never have to work because you're out of the rat race and you can you can live off the income from your investments and then if you want to work you can but you don't have to work and you're out of the rat race and you've got that financial financial freedom with alex louise mm. you've got that financial freedom right Mm, so there's something I'm really on talking a bit, but I want to I want to refer to this right because obviously when you do a podcast you've got to have flowers in the background and plants. Everybody knows those. Ever been on the internet, and so these these daffodils which are in honour of Alex Louise's um, adoptive Welshness, semi Welshness, we were saying because daffodils flower well. But the thing about this is this vase, right? This vase doesn't really go with them, but this is my grandmother's vase. So I remember mm. the vase from when I was about. Um, because when my mum split up with my dad, we moved back in. You know, my mum was only 17. Then we moved back in with my grandparents. And I remember this vase. So up until about the age of six or seven, I was living with my grandparents. And I remember this vase. And it's one of the maybe two things I've got from when she died years later. And I've taught my daughter about this vase. Because what this is about is about some kind of connection with previous generations and some kind of sense of legacy and history and longevity and long-term thinking. Now, if you think about it, Classically, mm. very, very wealthy families in the UK often have that. They have the stately home, the family silver. They have heirlooms, family heirlooms that are handed down, right? And then you give these to the kids and you give them these things. And it's not like they're going to sell it, right? But it's worth money. And it, it's kind of like the fact you don't sell off the family silver, right? But you have the family silver and it's kind of like a, 
it means you've got some it's like a, a financial cushion behind you because you know if you really came to it you know you could sell it and it's been passed down through the generations and that is all about creating and instilling this sense of long-term thinking so that uh vase is one example of it i thought i'd put the things in for today Brilliant. and then the other one, yeah. i've got a, a blanket the only other thing i have is a blanket that my grandmother knitted for me when my mum was pregnant with me so my grandmother knitted a blanket for me as a baby to have. She knitted it when my mum was pregnant. And my mum gave that to me. So I've yeah. got that. So when our son is born, he's going to yeah. use that blanket, right? And that's like come from my grandmother. Obviously, he'll never know. Uh, he may never know my mother because she's not very well at the moment. Um, and, yeah. uh, you know, that, and it's just kind of like, and then, you know, in years to come, I will tell him about that blanket and he'll have that blanket yeah. for his kids, right? Or maybe my daughter will have it. So maybe it's, it's kind of... Getting him to think about the future by showing him like how long the past is, right? It's really magic. Absolutely. You're not talking about creating the future. You're showing the future that was created way back then. So you're exactly. actually so, really showing it. So you're just making them think long term in both directions, and also the, the the you know that blanket when that blanket was made in 1966 or 1967. Now you're benefiting from that, right? You're sitting under the, mm. the cliche, isn't it? You're sitting under the trees. You know, planted by your grandparents yeah someone plants a tree great men i think it's the phrase great men plant trees they will never sit under right that's how you create legacy and greatness so mm. even little things you know i don't have the family silver and all these different things there's very little of it but i've been very mindful of teaching my daughter about those things and showing things i could from from the, my grandparents because and they're what they did during the war and they fought in the war and stuff like that so that she has a sense of generational uh connection because that's helping her think long term. That's the the, the punchline that I want to get to. Mm. Mm. Interesting. Mm. I just want to take a moment to just say a hi to those that are watching. We've got seven people at the moment watching live, so hi to you. And if you do have a question for Kevin, please do drop it in the comments. I can't promise you will answer it. We'll give our give it a go. And if we don't answer it today, we'll answer it at some point on some flat platform and tag you in it. So please do. Um, put it in the comments. I'm pretty sure we can see them. We are on StreamYard streaming through to Facebook, YouTube and Twitter. So, um, you know, please do get involved if you've got a question. You're like, yeah, but what about this? Or how does that work? Or you said this, but, uh, you know, I have a, you said this about boys, but I've got a girl. All of that will please do put it in. And Kevin and I are pretty clear that we'll do this again because we could talk about money and parenting. Probably, I don't think we'd ever run out of things to discuss and explore no, especially no. the fact that we're going through the journey ourselves with you know having yeah. small children and yeah. all of that um and thank you for your time and attention as well if you're watching and giving us your valuable time because we've had actually between seven and 15 people here the whole time so thank you if you've been here all that time i really appreciate that you know that listening and i hope you're getting value and likewise if you've got a question or a comment please do put it in um so kevin what else would you say to people just talking about money a, a little bit more what do you say to people who go oh how do I deal with my kids when they they're just in a shop and they're going I want this I want this I want that what do you say to people how do you teach children to it's okay to want what one of my biggest things with my kids and you might pull me up on this is that that phrase where people go I want doesn't get and I have stopped people saying that to my children and said, actually, I want does get. And we say, please, in this house. Mm -hmm. And Charlie has a want a list and he calls it Charlie's want a list. And will be that the, he says, can you put that on my want a list, please, mummy? 
So there's mm. there's bits that I do to kind of create this, but I'm also like that, you know, this sort of dance in, we could buy him anything he wants. And also I'm not going to do that because it's not how we do money in our house. Um, but how do, how do people outside of that kind of thing start to create that letting kids know it's okay to want? One of the biggest things I do in coaching is getting adults to want again. It's been so heavily not physically beaten out of people or some people, but like that this wanting is not okay. And, you know, I even joke like your wanter is broken. Mine too, by the way, you know, like it has phases where I, I'm like, my wanter's broken. Something's off here. How, how do you give kids what they want without spoiling them? Okay. So kids are very good at wanting, right? So I don't think wanters yeah. are broken. You know, we're not born with broken wanters. Clearly they kids are what want, right? Definitely not broken. Yeah. So give them a budget and let them allocate it. Give them responsibility for it. So if they're five years old and you're going to the candy store, you're going for the spice sweets, you've got this much money, sort it out. Like give that up so you can facilitate, help, guide. But basically, sure. that there's a constraint of a budget and they have to work with that budget. Mm. That is that's the bottom line. And that will be the, the case going forward, scaling up as they get older. I don't believe in giving allowances don't leave me giving I was pocket just money. about to ask you about pocket money what do you say right. about that, right. How does that so this work? so there are four levels of task there are four levels of job in the, uh, the, the for the child level one is things they do to look after themselves they brush their teeth you know put their washing away their clean clothes away obviously you scale this up as they it depends on the age right so that kind of self-care mm. stuff right obviously they're not paid for that Level two is chores around the house. So things they have to do because we live together as a family and we help each other. Again, you are not paid to load the dishwasher, um, maybe do some you know, vacuuming of the, the, the front room or wiping down the table after dinner or, or whatever it is. You ain't paid what for stuff. What age do you get them involved? Um, well, when they're five, you know, when they're really young, they'll just help out because they love helping out, right? Yeah. And then there comes that point, which I suppose is probably like often five or six, where they kind of go, yeah, that's not fun anymore. I don't want to do it, right? So yeah. that's the point when you start going, no, you've got to. This is, this is what you do, right? Yeah. So, um, and obviously it's quite light at that time. You're not using them for slave labour, but you're getting them to chip in. And then every birthday you revise it and you uh, crank it up. So it's self-care. Oh, interesting. I like that. So yeah. that there's a structure of like, oh, you're now a year older. And yeah, now yeah. Yeah, we're, all like, like, we're all like having birthdays and getting older, don't we? We're kids, right? So it's all part of it. And it's part of yeah. get more responsibility, right? And things expand yeah. and, it's written, and it's written down, right? So there's the self-care, there's the contributing to the household, both unpaid. Then there's paid jobs you can give them. Mm -hmm. And these are optional. They don't have to do them, right? But they're paid jobs. So maybe they wash the car or mow the grass, cut the lawn, whatever it is. Um, mm -hmm. And those paid jobs, uh, you know, are teaching them that that's how they get their allowance, it's not just, yeah. just given to because if you give them an allowance and pocket money, the message is you get money for free for doing nothing. And guess yeah. what? That's not how the world works <laughs> once they leave the family. That's not it, right? So you've got to do something. So you give them, so obviously that's why I have paid jobs. And if you want to be generous in paying them, whatever, that's fine, right? Um, and if, and so then, it's the, the point of the transaction rather than the amount and the job. It's the point of they do something and then they get the money rather than yeah so it's not like oh, i really want my car washed well and you know if i go to the professional car wash they'll hand wash it and it'll be 25 pounds 
but I can get my kid to do it for 20 quid and stand over them like a save. It's not about saving them. It's more about they've got a job to do and you know, they're learning. There's exchange of value. They're learning the reciprocity, the fair exchange. Yeah. One of the other key, key principles they need to understand is that there's an exchange. You know, When you buy a loaf of bread from the baker, you do yourself a favour and you do the baker a favour. It's good for the baker and it's good for you. you know, basic economics 101, which so many people have got screwed up in the heads because of political arguments about money's bad and business is exploitative and all this nonsense, which I used to have. But realising yeah. that actually when you buy something, when you enter into a voluntary transaction to buy something, both the buyer and the seller benefit from that. That's why they're doing it. If, it, yeah. if the buyer didn't want to do it, the price would go down or if the seller didn't want to do it the price would go up until they find a point where they did want to do it that's what the price mechanism is that's how free markets work right yeah. and so it's that's a good thing and so you're you're giving them a sense of that that you know when they wash they, if they want money they've got to do something for it right so that's the yeah. third level now that but that is an employee mentality or a sort of self-employed mentality so it's great better than money for nothing but it's limited so then the fourth level is entrepreneurial activities so for example Ooh. going to the car food sale making the cakes and selling them we also would do car boots where we if it was really hot we'd buy um my daughter and i we bought ice pops right so i don't know what they call them in america but ice pops frozen drink things in a you know and then uh, and then um sell them and you know when we got there at nine o'clock in the morning no one was interested but by the time it was 11 o'clock it was really hot everyone was buying them these things cost like five pence and we were selling them for 30 pence or something frozen from a cool box yeah we had. And we did a joint venture. She actually, that she's a bit older than she and I both put in 50% of the money and we did it yeah. together. And then we took 50% of the profits, right? So she actually had some risk. She put some money in. And then another time when we did it later, the heat wave stopped, right? The day of the thing. And it was all oh, cold. No. Nobody bought them. So she made a loss. I mean, a modest yeah. loss because these things were 5p. We buy them in boxes from the supermarkets. They worked out like, you know, very cheap. Um, yeah. So she made a modest loss. But that's all again, that's good. That's, that's, that's business, right? Sometimes you make a bit of a loss. So, yeah. and then guess what? We kept them in the freezer, and over the next you know, year, she managed to eat them all. What a surprise, right? They didn't, they didn't get <laughs> you. Right? So, um, so uh, uh, yeah, so these are, um, mm. I, I got onto that. So, these are some examples of. We're talking uh, about now. the four pillars. So, self care. Oh, yes. So, entre entre entrepreneurial activities. Entrepreneurial. Activities. Yeah. yeah. And obviously that can then scale up and you know putting things on eBay. I mean now she's buying she's buying stuff and then selling it on Amazon, for example, at a profit. So um and that you know it was something that there wasn't Amazon when I was her age. But when I was her age, that would have terrified me and it would have felt so alien and so comp difficult and complex. And in fact, I've known adults who have never sold anything. And they've had jobs, well-paid jobs. I remember one person I, I used to know, and you know, this person had, was making six figures as a lawyer, right? Big money. And had never sold a thing. And he wanted to trade the stock market. And his our mutual friend, his mentor at the time, was saying, if you want to trade the stock market, that's buying and selling. That's what you're doing. Okay, you're just doing it electronic figures on the screen, but that's what you're saying. You need to have some experience of buying and selling. If you've never done it, buy a second-hand sofa and sell it. Buy a second-hand bike and sell it. And he couldn't do it. The guy was like, oh, no, I don't want to do it. I haven't got time for that. He wouldn't do it. And it was like such a psychological barrier for him. So he's going to—he's not going to do well in the stock market if, he, if he's like, you know, emotionally got this barrier around buying and selling, right? So get your kids doing it early. And now for her, it's like the most natural thing in the flipping world. We're all used to buying, aren't we? So just put some selling in the mix. Be on the other side of the equation. Mm. 
I love that. I love that doing the car boot with the kids. And I mean, it solves a myriad of problems. It gets decluttering in the house. Yeah, it teaches yeah, yeah. them about money. It, you know, moves stuff on on an environmental level. It's good. It just kind of ticks every box going, doesn't it? It's just. I mean, the only the, the downside of it is it to, it's a lot of effort, effort and hassle. I had to get up really, really early on a Sunday. And, you know, I probably made you know, 50 quid. Like, I didn't really want sure. to. It wasn't, I wouldn't have done it for my own sake. It was educational. Educational. Less hustle than a thirty-year-old turning up on your doorstep. Exactly, your exactly. It's house, education. Right? It's a great fun day out and everything, and and then of course they can go around and spend a little bit of the money on other things. You know, so there's so many learning opportunities and points there. At that kind of mm. thing. Mm. Mm. Amazing. Um, let's. We. How are we doing time? We got. Let's do ten more minutes. Mm. Uh, if anyone has got a comment, to be clear as well. I can see comments on YouTube, but not. I don't think from the other platforms. So if you have, I haven't seen it. Just to be mindful, we're not ignoring you. Um, somebody's put a yeah. That's just a link. That's not a that makes not sense. That that's a bit of problem. Yeah, but thank you for someone putting some stuff up so I can see that it's working. Um, so let's just talk. I mean, we could do a whole podcast session on this. So let's just do a teaser about the difference between boys and girls and. How that that's just that's ridiculous, isn't it? Starting that conversation ten minutes ago, because <laughs> oh my god, what a subject for twenty twenty two. The difference between boys and girls. The difference between boys and girls. The boy well, crisis. It's been named by um, and I'm forgetting his name. Warren Farrell and John Gray from Men Are from Thank Mars, Women from Venus is the call. Thread. Thank you. Um, well, you know, that whole the stereotype of the naughty boys so, at the back of the class, the so, good so, girls at the front of the class. So with regard to money, mm. I wouldn't say there is any difference in how I would raise them or teach them. Mm. And then when it comes into the, when it really comes into course the area of dating and relationships, and we start to, that's when understanding, you know, what reason I've talked to my daughter about the differences between men and women and boys and girls for a long time mm. is I wanted to have a great relationship. I want to feel good about being a woman and I want to feel good about men, right? But the mm. sweet spot is for everybody to be happy, you know. Being a man is great. Being a woman is great. Men are great. Women are great. That's the sweet spot, right? If you've got resentment towards the opposite sex, think the opposite sex are bad or whatever, or you're jealous of the opposite sex, think the opposite sex have got it better than you, that is going to screw up your relationships. That, and, and that's very, very common that those kinds of thought patterns are going on. And part of feeling good about your sex and your the opposite sex and being happy you know, to be who you are and not being envious and that kind of stuff is to... See, it's not to pretend that we're all the same, but to see the differences, acknowledge differences, and embrace those differences, and see that those differences are actually wonderful, right? Because yeah. I, I don't know if other people can relate to this, but my wife is more feminine than I am, and I actually like that because if my wife was as masculine as some hairy ass builder bloke or whatever, or some bloke as my mate, I probably wouldn't find her that attractive. Do you know what I mean? So we have this yeah. common thing where people often men are going around, oh, women are so illogical and they're so rational and they keep changing their minds. Oh, God, I wish my girlfriend was more like my mates. No, you don't, because if your girlfriend was like <laughs> my mates, you wouldn't want to be her girl you were, your girlfriend. So that's not true. It's bullshit. And then you have the opposite with women going, oh, men is so this and he's so that and he's always watching sports, doesn't talk enough about his feelings. I wish I wish my boyfriend was more like my girlfriend. It's like, no, you don't. If your boyfriend was like your girlfriend's, you wouldn't fancy him because you actually, it's that masculine side of him that's actually attractive to you obviously the sexual polarity between masculine and feminine is where the attraction comes from but mm. because we live in a time of 
in many ways very positive wanting women to have equal opportunities and yeah. thinking that you know historically that wasn't the case um we're in danger of throwing the baby out of the bathwater and trying to pretend that men and women are the same and i didn't want yeah. my daughter growing up that because it's going to lead to confusion in all different ways just talked about um yeah. and so uh it doesn't really come up when they're young because yeah. five six seven year olds they know boys and girls are different i mean obviously when they're three or four they don't care when they're um seven eight you know primary school age nine they know and the boys and the girls tend to play very separately and if you suggested to them that they were not they just think you were an idiot they think you were absolutely bonkers crazy right and then but then i know um but then the idea comes up and i think what happened when it came up with my, me and my daughter were in the car and they sit outside the house and she said she's probably about eight or nine she said to me when did people why did people used to think or stop women doing something or women could ladies couldn't do some things that men could do or something like that she obviously heard something at school about you know sex discrimination back in the day not being able to vote or whatever and mm. i said oh yeah people used to think like that a lot and that was very common um and it was based on some you know not very good ideas or whatever i said but do you know what the other thing is now some people think that men and women are the same and she did one of those things that kids of this age do she had this kind of like absolute 100% full body visceral reaction of kind of like that's the most absurd <laughs> thing but like, that is such one of like how utterly absurd anyone could think that right I was like yeah they think yeah. many women the same isn't that crazy isn't that weird she's like yeah I said yeah so I think it's really good that you know when, you know, my, my wife now is a, is a doctor right so you know 120 years ago maybe even 100 years ago she, she wouldn't have been allowed to go to medical school instead of to be a doctor now, uh, yeah, that's really good that you have those options and choices. But that doesn't mean that men and women are the same and that all women want to be doctors. Or, you know, it's like you can still have different choices and men and women are going are gonna to do different things on average in certain ways, right? Yeah. So she got that very clearly. And then a bit later, when she was um, maybe 13, uh, I said something. I sort of I dropped into the conversation something about um, how women were better than men at understanding emotions and relationships for example and, and personal dynamics between individuals right and she was like is that true like no what's going on here and i said to her following image and i said um what do the boys do at lunchtime at school what do they do at lunchtime she went play football i said yeah i said what do the girls do at lunchtime and she went talk and I said, yes, that's right. And what do they talk about? They talk about who said what to who, what that means, who's friends with who, who's fallen out with the other, right? Now, mm. the, reason, the reason boys and girls are doing different things at lunchtime is because boys and girls are different and they like to do different things. And then they spend years, there's years and years where the boys are practicing football and getting better at football and the girls are practicing talking and getting better and better at talking. So they've already got a difference and then those differences get stronger. I said, and it doesn't mean the boys aren't working together and communicating with each other. They are, they're playing as teams, right? So there's a lot of that, but they're not necessarily doing it through words. They're doing it through actions and the games they're playing. So it's slightly different. She was like, oh, yeah, that's obvious. And I've used that since with clients quite a few times. It's brilliant. It's a brilliant description. Mm. And it's flipping obvious to anybody, right? And obviously there'll be some boys that stand with the girls and talk, and there may be some girls sure. that play football, and obviously you're free, free to all. Oh, but but there will be these trends in every, every school yard in the world. You'll see these trends. There'll be this difference. And so just wanted to her to know there's biological differences between men and women, and that then those biological differences tend to you know be amplified over time in some ways because you know the, the 
one's one's playing football and one's talking about emotions so of course they're going to get better at those different skills so um she i would say has a a very i mean she's 19 now and she has a you know what i just said boys are great girls great it's great being a boy it's great being a girl you know she'd she'd be like yeah she'd totally see that that's how she is and and uh, that gives her a strong foundation for having good relationships with members of the opposite sex and a good marriage in due course in my view Mm, mm. and I think what's interesting about all of it which is I'm really becoming present to because of this book that you said to read was the downside it's like the unintended consequences so the 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 thing that's been happening is women you know like I have two small children I run my business I have a property portfolio you know I'm free to do whatever I want I have an incredibly supportive husband in Owen you know he partake I mean he also works I'm going to say it feels like two full-time jobs. He works really hard as well. And he's just a brilliant dad. You know, he's there at mealtimes and all the rest of it. And I think it's that tempering of women now, we, we have the opportunity, not all women in the world, those of us that do have amazing opportunities. The unintended consequence that I'm becoming really present to is that the male role as provider is that it's like, I can't remember the, the comment of how he said it. It's like, women, we have options. We can do it any which way we want, and that's okay. Whereas men, there's like a purpose void where it was really driven on men have got a purpose as providers or going to war or, you know, it was creating big businesses, which is also now, it's almost like that kind of thing is being a bit attacked and not okay. And it's also, it's still not, completely okay for guys to stay at home and look at after their kids if that's what they want to do mm. so there's this sort of weird space at the moment where girls can do anything and are mm. clearly mm. you know flouncing guys in a lot of mm. school levels and all the rest of it but then guys are going well what do i do and a lot of them are you know our suicide rates are going through the roof for boys and men Men are going, what am I here for? You know, we have a huge issue in society around, you know, well, women can go to a sperm donor. We don't need a guy around. It's like, oh my God, that's the biggest, like the biggest fucking lie on the planet. It's like the biggest screw up we could ever create. So how do we deal with that with our children and creating purpose for both and creating that, you know, what you just said was so great. It's like, guys are great and girls are great. And everyone's okay and that's great and the differences are great how do we teach that to our children in a society or a, a you know a bigger conversation that's really hard on both sexes in different ways you know like there's a kind of story of women have been downtrodden for years which mm. by the way I, I don't believe in that i think there's mm. been some unintended consequences of men trying to take care of women and all the rest mm. of it mm. uh, you know we talk about this for hours but then there's the other way now of like What's a guy for? What's a woman for? Everyone can just do everything on their own, but actually we can't. I can't do what I do without Owen and vice versa. The reason we're so successful is because we have each other and because we're so different. How do we how do we teach that to our kids? You've got two minutes. Yeah, that's a safe. And then we'll do another whole podcast. I, I get I get the sense this is quite close to your heart and you've got quite a lot to yeah, you've got quite a lot of questions I'm about this, really Alex. About it. <laughs> I'm, I'm bringing up boys going, oh, yeah, yeah, God, big time. How yeah. do I do this? Well, maybe I could. Oh, I've got to pick something out. I can't answer it all. 
Give us think, a teaser for the got, next podcast. The, 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 we'll the, yeah, the, the lack of time. so the purpose void for boys. So the number one thing is to have them be good at cutting out all the cutting out the bullshit, basically ignoring the noise of the rubbish around them. Right? There are still look Fortune five hundred CEOs are you know ninety percent men. Right now, oh that's sexism. No, it's not. It may be elements of it, but actually predominantly what it's about is that when you look at the bell curve and the distribution of certain characteristics, the to become a CEO of a Fortune 500 company is really hard. You've got to be really tenacious, really conscientious, really committed, and really um, willing to be disagreeable, not, not care about upsetting people. And when it comes to those extremes of those things, there's many more men at that extreme than women. You know, obviously, hopefully it's obvious, Women tend to be more concerned about making everybody getting on and being agreeable, right? That's that's a thing that well, women. I can, more... I can speak to that just to share into anyone who's going. Well, I don't even know a CEO. The chef world that I was in for seventeen years, you know, it's male dominated. When I worked for Raymond Blanc at the Manoir, there was me and Amy and forty guys. You know, like we were the minority, and people same thing. They would go, "That's sexist." Da da da. No. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm not in that world anymore because it is lunacy and it was mm. really freaking hard. And I went, mm. I'm not doing that stuff anymore. I want to have exactly. a family and I can't exactly. do this job and have a family. Exactly. So it's, it's a huge thing, isn't it? That, you know, yeah. yes, you can do anything, but we, I didn't want to. So the key thing to understand is mm. that we're not talking about individuals, we're talking about the overall averages in populations, right? Mm. And the way to understand this, I think it's really simple, and it's overlooked all the flipping time in the media, is men are taller than women. Men are taller than women, but that doesn't mean that all men are taller than all women. Men are taller than women. What? You can't say men are taller than women. I've got a friend, she's really, really tall. Yeah, I know, but still in general, men are taller than women. I know this other guy, and he's really short. Yeah, but in general, men are taller than women, right? So basically, if you were to measure trouser lengths, you find that the lengths of men's trousers are longer than the lengths of women's trousers. That doesn't, that's not because of sexism on the behalf of the trouser manufacturers, right? It's because men, on average, are taller than women. Now, that maps across so many things, probably all, pretty much anything, that, which are all personality characteristics and preferences and behaviours. There will be some kind of gender differences where one group does one, one thing more than the other, right? So when it then plays out in who's the CEOs, you know, is there a gender pay gap and all that kind of stuff, there's going to be a gender pay gap because... Even within medicine, for example, the majority of doctors now are women. The majority of even when I was at medical school, it just comes to the point where 100 years ago, there were no um, uh, women allowed to go to medical school. And then it got to the point where it's you know, the majority of new doctors are women. And yet, when it comes to the high earning jobs within medicine, men still dominate because those jobs are really bloody competitive and you have to study really hard and work really long hours and have really high levels of endurance. And it's not that the women can't do it, or maybe they can't, but they also go, I don't want to do that, right? They have different level of drive. There, some do, but some go, I don't want to do that stuff, right? And that's not right or wrong. If feminism is about everything, anything, it's about women having freedom of choice. If the woman says, actually, I want to be a stay-at-home mum and raise my kids and just have a little part-time job in a boutique a couple of days a week, she should be respected and allowed to do that, right? It's like not yeah. saying all oh, the down the sisterhood, screw that stuff, right? So there's going to be some differences at a population level, understanding that and realising that all the political rhetoric, even from parties all across the spectrum these days about the gender pay gap, you know, oh, you know, the Conservative government, so a right of centre, more traditional party in the UK, introduced legislation a few years ago that every company over a certain size has got to publish its gender pay gap statistics. 
Now, what that means is EasyJet, an airline, has to publish its gender pay gap statistics. Now, guess what? 90% of the pilots are men and 90% of the cabin crew are women. Who earns more, pilots or cabin crew? Well, oh, yeah. Yeah, obviously by like a factor of about five, right? So guess what? <laughs> gender pay gap. Does that mean EasyJet is being sexist in their pay and recruitment? Yeah. No, it's because more men are into being pilots than women. Oh, God, you know, it's like, where do you begin? It's just silly. And that gets repeated across everything. And um, the, the number one expert in the world on the gender pay gap is a woman called, oh, God, what's her name? She's at Harvard, or she was at Harvard. She's moved now. Dr. Um, her name's escaped me. I can't remember her name. Sorry. And she said, it's um, that in America, the famous thing is, oh, every dollar a man earns, a woman earns 78 cents or 72 cents or something, right? And she said, of that, two cents is sexism. She's analysed this to great depth. Two cents wow. is sexism. And the rest is women making different choices or prioritising different things. Now, she would then say that even that, some of that could be addressed and would be worth addressing by changing the structure of the labour market. So she would say um, that the fact that, for example, full-time jobs tend to earn more per hour than part-time jobs. Right in medicine, so full-time jobs in law, for example, are more per hour than part-time jobs. So when women go part-time because they have family or whatever, that tends to, they tend to earn less per hour. Now there's in a, in pharmacy, so being a chemist, a pharmacist dispensing medicines, they've made it, they've, they've changed it in some way so that whether you're full-time or part-time, you get the same hourly rate. So the gender pay gap has been greatly reduced in that area by that kind of massaging of the the yeah. work the market, right? But yeah. To go into law firms, you know, law firms in Manhattan or the city of London, corporate law firms where people work, you know, 12 hours a day, seven days a week for months at an end. And those people make big bucks because they're doing working on the really massive mergers and acquisitions and this kind of stuff. And they're, but they're working crazy hours. And yeah. I wouldn't want to do that anyway. But, you know, more women are going to go. I'm not doing that than men, basically, yeah. you know. So then sort of say to those law firms, no, you've got to pay those people the same amount per hour as the people who are only doing three days a week. It's kind of like, how much do you... Inter then the law firms go, that doesn't make sense. These are the people that we you know, want to reward and value because they're providing more value in the marketplace for us. Mm -hmm. So basically, that when you, those are the sorts of things. And you know, in medicine, for example, the women choose the 10, 10 on general. Some men are taller than some women. Uh, some women are taller than some men. But in general, they choose the, 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 the less demanding specialities. So they're not the, the surgeons and the neurosurgeons and this kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. They're more um, uh, family-friendly options, right? Yeah. So, um, yeah, 2% of it, 2 cents in the dollar is actually down to that. And the rest of it is, is their sexes and the rest of it is, is women's choices and preferences. And, you know, that's not wrong. It's That's just the way things are. So, so having kids see that is really important. So they don't get, I've been talking to Imogen about this for a long time. So they're not brainwashed by the nonsense and the anti-boy, oh, it's all because of sex and the gender pay gap. Men make more than women because they're oppressing women and all this kind of nonsense that's been spouted all the time. It's like, no, it's not true. It's bullshit. It's victimhood rubbish. And, mm. and obviously it gets clicks and controversy and obviously it gets votes, which is why they do it. But it's not actually true when you look at it, right? And, mm. and then, so I want my son to know that and then help him develop his sense of mission, right? help him think about what he's going to do, what he wants to create in life, and just having a sense of... I mean, that's true for boys and girls. And if your sense of mission is you want to... I, I've got a, a mentee who's 25, and she's a lawyer, and mm. she's realised that... I mean, she's still doing it, and she likes it sort of, but she realised she's been being really masculine, and she's like, do you know what? I want to get married and have five or six kids. And all her friends 
uh, are going, are you mad? What are you doing? Well, don't say that. It'll scare the boys off. No, she's connected with her heart. That's what she really wants yeah. to do, right? And mm. more, and, and if that's your mission in life, flipping fantastic. And say it out loud so you get rid of the time wasters who don't want kids, right? That Absolutely. idea about not saying that is just so crazy. She, she was out on Saturday with a group of people and she told me about the conversation. A couple of people there were mothers, including her own mother. And she was saying this. And this other woman, a mother, said, oh, don't say that. You'll scare off all the men. And she was, and she was like, and she said, what? No, I want to scare those men off. I only I want to get rid of all those guys. I only want to be the guys to be interested in me if they also want to have five or six kids and have me as a yeah. stay-at-home mum while they earn the money, right? And and it's mm. like, but why would you? But it's almost like this kind of idea of deceiving. Oh no, you've got to like don't say it will scare them off because you want to get someone and then you try and manipulate them into having kids. Like I mean, yeah. oh honestly, be upfront about that's it. Gonna, that's never going to end well, is it? Oh, well, one day, yeah. <laughs> so, and then get the story of women are trickermeisters and they just got themselves pregnant and she trapped me it's like yeah that's how that ends <laughs> do that and i wouldn't recommend it yeah um so mm. so so and then you get into the whole dating arena and you understand so a question that's come up a bit recently including that group and my daughter's been asking people this as well recently if uh, on a first date who should pay on a first date should the man pay on a first date what's your answer to that alex my my answer is yes yeah, my answer is yes as well. That is the correct answer because not because he's got to prove that he's got money, but because it's kind of taking some leadership and it's a kind of symbolic act of providing and provision. You know, you're the guy, you choose the restaurant and you pay for the first. Probably don't even go for dinner, it's too much. Go for coffee and pay for it. Don't spend a load of money and then she feels indebted and you feel that you've spent too much. And if you don't have a second date, you feel pissed off about it. But you know, yeah. something moderate. Go for a coffee, get your coffee and cake. You pay for that. You know, and hey, maybe she's earning money, etc. It's not like you have to pay for every date and she never pays for anything. I think that's the key, isn't it? It's like I don't think I don't think most women expect men to pay for everything always. There's something about the first date, and it's the stats are you know, and even saying it, I'm like, oh, God, I'm going to get some flack for this, for saying, like, yes, I think the man should pay, because out of context, it sounds so, you know, then there's that whole, like, the gold digger scenario comes up, and, oh, men are just used to pay for stuff and all that world, and it's like, it's not about that. It's about being taken care of and the man providing. Exactly. Because there's an evolutionary reason to this. Now, if you're religious, religious people have no problem with this, because all the religions of the world talk about this. And you could say, well, they're all patriarchal. Or you could say, maybe there's some ancient wisdom in those writings from <laughs> thousands of years. Maybe the, maybe the people who this stuff has been handed over generations isn't all rubbish, right? Anyway, but even if you're, if you're not rich, just think about evolutionarily, right? If a man and a woman get together and have sex, who's taking the risk of the woman? Because she's the one literally going to be left holding the baby. Holding the baby. And, <laughs> and so she needs... So this is one of the reasons why women test men because if you you need to test whether he's got the metal and the and, and the trustworthiness to stick around, you make him wait, you test him, you be a bit of a bitch to him. If he can't handle me being a bitch, what's he going to do when war, famine, and pestilence come over the horizon? You need to test his integrity, find out what his reputation is like. Because if you're deciding to have sex with a man and taking the risk of becoming pregnant with his baby, saying to him, "Hey, if I get pregnant, will you stick around and help me raise this kid, raise the child?" and him going, "Oh yeah, I promise." That's not enough, right? Because many men will lie in that situation, right? So you have to have some some other kind of evolutionary mechanisms for testing it. But then also you want to know that he can. He's not just willing to provide. He's willing to protect you, willing to help you when you're at your most vulnerable. Like my wife's, you know, waddling about now. She's six months pregnant Mm -hmm. plus. And, you know, then she's going to be breastfeeding your baby. 
you know, if, if someone breaks into the house tonight, right, she ain't going to be at the forefront of defending us, us as a couple, is she, for God's sake? But, you know, so you need to know that your guy you can be reliable. So when you go and, you know, a woman, yes, wants, needs to know that if I'm going to raise a family, I mean, you're a financially independent woman, Alex, from the age of 30, right? So you're an outlier in many ways. Yeah. And, yes, and yet you still, you know, having children with Owen, you want him to know that he's going to be there to provide and protect and to rely on and feel safe, right? Because otherwise I've you're in this survival felt- mode so vulnerable you know like having kids it's like and i'd say i'm coming out of the other side of it now because rupert's one and a half but for the last three years oh my god it's like i can't do this on my own you know i'm pregnant breastfeeding pregnant again so now i'm now i'm pregnant with a toddler then i'm you know breastfeeding a, a baby with a toddler it's like hats off to the ladies that you know, deal with that on their own because it's just a mammoth task. It's really but it's hard enough already without dealing with Bingo. the fact of, Bingo. oh, and I've got to make sure everything's okay and the doors are locked at night and yeah. yada, yada, yada. I mean, it's yeah. just, yeah, it's huge. So, so, you know, so say, I am independent and still I'm like, and I'd like a man yeah. to be there with me in partnership and all of and that. And if you're living in a world of men and women are the same, men and women should all be doing exactly the same things and men and women should all be earning exactly the same amount of money and if they're not it's because there's something bad going on and the men and the boys are being sexist and bad and wrong and all this kind of stuff or the women have got internalized misogyny and all this kind of stuff there's no room for what you just said there's no room for that conversation of actually do you know what i'm vulnerable in this position i need to know to be safe as a mother that i've got um, someone who's who I can rely on and, and can take care and provide financially and, and provide resources in the in the broadest possible sense. So yeah. this this is the the challenge is the problem with the kind of modern feminist movement and how it's going of 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 demonising boys and th- thinking that any difference between two groups is mm-hmm. because of some kind of discrimination. Uh, otherwise, yeah. I mean, you know, the fact that in America. The people that are shot by police, the vast majority of them are men. Very few of them are women. Is that because the police are sexist against men? <laughs> obviously not. If you well, said that, I'd go, no, you're an idiot. How do you even think that's so obviously stupid? Yeah, but that same principle applies. Sometimes they do shoot happening. women. But they tend to shoot men because it's the men who have guns and are criminals and all that kind of stuff, right? Obviously, but, you know, so it's not sexism against men, is it? So that's the mm. to all the different things we've been talking about. Um, mm. And so understanding that, and, and knowing, and, and it's the same with money, actually, going back. So one of the things I taught Imogen from a very early age, now we have to wrap up very soon, was money is a bad money. Kids don't think money's bad, right? Kids do not have negative limiting beliefs about money. They don't have nonsense in their head For anything. About money, right? For anything. But, yeah, but I'd say to her, money's really good, and you can do this, this, and this. And if you keep an eye out, you can find money on the floor and all this kind of stuff. We'd have this all money's everywhere, right? Little mm-hmm. games. And I said, do you know what? Some people have got really, really, really weird ideas. Some people, some grown-ups are so crazy. They think money's bad. They think rich people are bad. Isn't that crazy? And so I put this in. I would inoculate her because I know she's going to hear that. I know she's going to hear that negative shit about money, just like I knew she's going to hear negative stuff about mm. women are the same, sex and all stuff. So what you do is you tell them about it early and you go, some people think this. Isn't that absolutely crazy and silly? And you laugh about it. Then the kid goes... Oh, that's mad, that is. And they laugh along as well. So it's not a big heavy thing. They laugh. Then when yeah. they hear it, they go, oh, yeah, Dad, tell me about these weirdos. Because I don't want my daughter in the school playground to overhear parents who are like, you know, much older than her. She's like seven or eight saying really negative things about money or it's bad or something like that. And her to think, oh, God, that must be true. I want, or I want to get in there first. 
for her, yeah. her to realise that that's just the way people think. So my son will also know that the, there's going to be a lot of people think that boys are bad and this kind of, that's really mad. Some people have got really, you know, basically know that there's a lot of nonsense out there. So I think inoculating them against the nonsense. Yeah, that's really helpful because really that's one of my valuable. worries. It's like, yeah, I can say stuff, but what about, I can't manage the rest of the world. I can't make the rest of the world, you know, say anything different than they say. So that's really helpful just to acknowledge I mean, you, actually people do say stuff that's kind of, crazy or doesn't work or is different but it doesn't mean it's true because it's yeah, that and you're because because you alex you know your boys are not going to grow up believing the dominant narratives about money are they right because you won't let that happen and you just be like they're going to know from you and from owen that yeah a lot of people are a bit mad about money and have got some crazy ideas right so don't buy into that right so that's you know that already don't you you, you just say yeah, that that's yeah. a given right so you just then map that across to all the other areas whether it's health and nutrition, whether it's um, uh, relationships and, and mm, the mm. sexes, et cetera. Mm. And it kind of, just to tie it all in and wrap, I know, you, you know, we, we said we've got a hard break at, at this time. I said, said 11.45 is my hard break. i got to go, yeah. <laughs> so, it, you know, it ties it all back to being honest, doesn't it, with our kids and sharing and saying what it's like for us and, and dealing with that rather than trying to kind of cocoon them and say this is you know it's all fine and, in here and then they go out there and go oh god it's not how mummy said it was and you're yeah so you need to and also you need to know the teachers are not going to say that because the teachers can't stand up in front of the class and go majority of people in our society are wrong about x even though the majority mm -hmm. of our people in our society are in debt the majority of our people in society are overweight or obese the majority of people in our society are either divorced, unhappily married, or unhappily single, right? So in all those three key areas of relationships, health, and money, I would say the majority of, and I include myself certainly in two of those three historically. Sure, me too, right? We've both had Absolutely. Two. The majority of people are not getting good results, but the and that includes the majority of the teachers probably as well, yeah. but also the teachers can't, they, they, they couldn't, and there'd be an outcry if they stood up and said that kind of thing. So you as parents and the wider family have got to provide that input. Mm. And the great news is, you can. They will listen to you more than anybody else, even when they're teenagers and they're pissed off with you and they, their friends count more at some level. If you've established these foundations and you've had these open, yeah. honest, transparent conversations from an early age, they will be receptive. Even if they don't appear to be, it will go in. And I remember my wife and I, as a doctor, she's a functional medicine doctor, we think very differently about a lot of health things to most doctors. And, and we've been talking about nutrition at the dinner table and other health things at the dinner table with my daughter there for years and and she yeah. just sort of like be ignoring it and not really interested she's a bit of a fussy eater and that was when she was like 12 13 or whatever and then she was like 14 15 and she suddenly started piping up and going oh it's because of this this was it i was like bloody hell you were listening to it all like she's taking it all in she remembered it all she knows all this stuff about nutrition like, oh my god yeah so on that note kevin we must yes. wrap up um thank you i i cannot I love chatting to you, as you well know, just in case anyone else on the podcast is in any doubt, I will say it explicitly. And it's um, mutual, and it's mutual. Yeah, and it's just it's just a great pleasure to not only be on this podcast with you, but actually to, I'm going to call it, be in partnership for our future children and for mm. parents out there to actually mm. say, do you know what? It kind of seems all a bit crazy out there. It doesn't have to be. A lot of what we intuitively know is actually right, because I think there's a lot of stuff that's being questioned mm, and getting us all to mm, question ourselves. Mm. And, oh, God, have we been doing it wrong all this time? It's such a pleasure to be able to be on a podcast, long form, talk about this stuff, 
give people some relief that it's okay. There's nothing bad and wrong. It's not just you. It's <laughs> not just you. We're all dealing with it. Even the coaches amongst us who have, you know, appeared to now have our shit together. You know, 10 years ago, both of us were very, very different picture as you've, you know, so brilliantly shared today so that people get that it doesn't just happen, you know, by magic. So um, thank you so much for sharing your life sure. and your expertise. It's a if pleasure. If people want to find you, we will well, put your I'm website in the links yeah. or give us the website well my most my most active social is twitter which is Ke at kevin birch b-u-r-c-h that's kevin so birch. manly of you kevin such What's a male twitter? well yeah twitter is two to one men to women whereas instagram is two to one women to men it's almost it's like men so and women are different. and instagram having to come up with bloody pictures all the time oh i can't be asked for all that but whereas i'm bench. like oh god twitter having to come up with some sharp thing to say that's on point that. oh, uh, that's it. it. it's almost <laughs> if men and women are different who knew and um or if you want to get on my mailing list go to parenting secrets of the one percent.com parenting secrets of the one percent all words no symbols or numbers parenting secrets of the one percent.com it'll offer you a free course just put your name and email in and you'll be on my mailing list course. It's brilliant thanks so much kevin thanks, thanks everybody you. for your and you too thanks everyone for your time and your attention you're listening you're playing please send us in your questions kevin and i will definitely do this again uh if you've got a particular you know burning thing of like what what you're dealing with and what's going on for you and you're just like i just don't know where to start send in your you know what you're dealing with and we will endeavor to answer that on some platform whether we do it together or individually on our own platforms but Please, you know, the biggest thing that I say to people is do something. Don't stay stuck. Don't stay struggling. Don't stay in the dark. Shine a light on it. Get some help. You know, that's what we're here for. That's why we're doing these podcasts. That's why we do what we do as coaches. Please do something. Don't stay stuck. Don't stay in the struggle. Big love, Kevin. Big love, everyone listening and listening to the recording. See you all again next time. Bye. If you enjoyed this episode please share with friends if you haven't already subscribe to the podcast and more importantly join me on my telegram group to stay connected give me feedback in real time and be in the conversation big love and see you next time